Thanks for joining us. I'm Alan Burke, a landscape architect here in the Puget Sound region, and you are listening to the Green Meridian Podcast. Look, I know it's going to be problematic to talk about the difficult issues that arise when we talk about the quality of landscape design education. It's a multifaceted issue with no direct and easy answers. I want to start by saying that my own education was a bit circuitous and in that way, unusual. But I've talked with enough landscape designers and architects over the years to find that many arrive at the profession the long way around. I feel both fortunate and restricted in the outcome that I personally experienced many years ago after becoming a new graduate in landscape architecture. First of all, I graduated with a degree in international studies originally. I thought I was going to join the State Department, but my problem back in those days was that I simply couldn't pass the foreign service exam. Out of desperate necessity and per Perhaps because there was a higher being guiding me, I found work in a hardware store. I found that I had a good aptitude for it. The knowledge of all the hardware and miscellaneous assemblies and components has been very useful to me. Even now, I can probably tell you the nut size of a bolt by a look at the thread or tell you what kind of plumbing fitting is needed to manage a drainage assembly. Anyway, I remember like it was yesterday, a moment in which my life turned. I was restocking shelves in the plumbing section of the hardware store when a woman knelt down beside me and asked me if I might be interested in managing a hardware store with a nursery nearby for her. I told her I had no real experience with plant material, and she told me that she had a staff that could handle that. In short, I took the job, and over the following few months, I discovered that I loved learning botanical names and working with plant material. I was even drawing ridiculous planting plans and specifying materials that were inappropriate to the space or to the weather or to both. If you got one of my planting plans from 1980, I sincerely apologize. One day and another key moment in time, I had a routine interview with a young landscape designer looking to consult through the nursery. She told me that she was a landscape architect, a term I'd never heard of before. And she opened up a portfolio that I remember as a blaze of sunlight from a book, a moment that parted the clouds for me. I realized right then that there was actually a profession for my developing passion and that I'd been completely unaware of it. Within months, I'd given notice, taken out student loans, and gone back to school to begin pursuing my degree in landscape architecture. Because I came from a nursery background and knew my plants fairly well at that point, I was disappointed to see how little actual planting education there was for my landscape architectural degree. Further, as someone who had experience with hardware and materials, I was also chagrined to learn there was really no discussion about material construction to any great degree. My professors were academics at the University of Florida. From what I could understand, they almost uniformly came from graduate degrees, directly to teaching. The critical missing step of practical business and construction knowledge colored the learning experience and, as might be expected, resulted in an education focused in architecture, plan drawing, and academic research. Fascinating topics, to be sure, but really only a fractional amount of the knowledge needed to be part of a practical profession 
rooted in building and botanicals. This colored my opinions and informed my thinking about academics and landscape architecture from that point forward. Over the ensuing years, as I've developed my career and worked for over 20 years as an employee for a range of firms, and then within the larger framework of my own business, a business of over 25 years now, I've seen the fruits of these problems come to bear in many ways. I think that any self-respected recent graduate in landscape, architecture, or design should be self-effacing enough to know that in most cases, they really have not received an adequate education in the very core fields of carpentry and masonry construction, irrigation and drainage and lighting materials, plant specification in its complex forms, or even in business organization. In unfortunate fact, education institutions lean in on design and drawing more than anything else. This is, of course, good knowledge to have but does not really nearly begin to encompass all of the information that's needed. All of that said, I've given some thought to it over the last few years, and I wanted to weigh in here with an episode about what I see as the problems in landscape design education and some simple ways that we could work toward making significant improvements. A few years ago, I had the experience of teaching a class over the winter quarter at a local community college. I had originally envisioned it as an enriching experience in which I could interact with inquisitive students in a classroom every week and show visuals and offer hands-on material and brochure information in such a way that I could offer up at least a fractional portion of the education that I didn't receive. Instead, because we found ourselves in the pandemic, I found myself on a Zoom screen talking with folks in a grid format. That was, to say the least, less than ideal. Nevertheless, we had some good discussions, though I did hijack the main topic a bit so that I could spend some time going over some practical matters. In this regard, I kind of shifted the thinking of the class overall from what was supposed to be grading and drainage to become a crash career course class in landscape design. I'm not sure that folks were much better for it, but I felt that this was a more useful experience than learning about topo plans and drawing contour lines. Yes, I know grading and drainage is important. I was just figuring out which baby to throw out with the bathwater. key aspect to the shift in landscape design education centers around the evolution of the students themselves. With the ever-focusing shift into computer technology, we're finding that students are less and less geared toward the outside world. At least that's my thinking. With that in mind, what was already a problem in the field has become even more so, as both students and academic educators are more divorced from the outside world than ever before. In our particular frame of reference, thinking about a crop of professionally talented designers, we need to be generating a field of new landscape designers that have good hands-on experience, that can speak the lingo and communicate well in a construction environment, and that, of course, not only have the graphic skills necessary, but are well-versed in the myriad of plant materials that can be specified. With plant material, a recognizable shift needs to be made to steer landscape designers away from purely ornamental planting and instead to form a seedbed of education around being able to articulate native plant materials and creation of wildlife habitat, reinforcement of natural areas, and mitigation of the negative effects of a building development. 
This should be a core and mainstream component of landscape design education universally, and I fear it's really not. We're generating graduates instead that are geared more into the ornamental orientation rather than into the realms of mitigation and remediation. And I think that this is something that should be changed. Everything from construction recycling to low water use and knowledge about the availability and shipping distances of select materials needs to be at least reviewed in at least a cursory way for designers before they're let loose on the world. Another aspect of the field is that many people of at least a certain age will enter into it as a second career. And as such, they may not come to it with the proper amount of training. This is especially true in the residential design field. Now, this is not to say that these folks are not talented or that they do not have any basis of knowledge. In many cases, a second career self-taught designer may have good practical knowledge and may be a master gardener or a skilled builder in their own right. But most would agree that the mix of available folks calling themselves professional landscape designers reflects a wide range of experience and talent. On one hand, you may have a high-level graduate in landscape architecture that is experienced in urban renewal and community planning. On, on the other hand, you may have a garden designer that is just rolling up to the curb having been a realtor only the week before. These may be the same two people consulting on a project with a new client. We talk about this a bit in another episode titled Extreme Makeovers. For this episode, and in these cases, I'm referring really to those that go through a formal education process, whether it be in landscape architecture overall, or perhaps as a landscape design graduate from a respected local community college program. I think most folks that graduate from either type of program would agree that, in many cases, the folks that teach these programs have not really been a part of the actual field that they are hoping to make their profession within. In some cases, especially in landscape architecture, you may be taught as a student by someone who is really an advanced student themselves, an academic that has never really had a professional practice. And so we find that many landscape architectural students are given a great amount of time to study graphics and drawing sensibilities and really do not have much training in the establishment of the business bookkeeping contracts and agreements or the marketing knowledge that might be necessary to succeed as an independent designer. In addition to this, there's a real lack of material training and construction methodologies such as irrigation and lighting and other aspects of material design that require good knowledge of assembly and technique. I think any kind of landscape design or landscape architectural design program would benefit by having hands-on training taught by experienced business professionals that have worked in the field, especially from design build. In this regard, and if so, you might see a situation develop in which potential designers would have much more practical knowledge related to the kinds of information they are going to need when they graduate. Experienced designers in the field know that a very real rift exists between landscape contracting and the landscape design community. From the contractor's viewpoint, this is in part based upon issues related to bidding and budgets, and we've talked about that in another episode. But it's really also centered on a lack of knowledge of material and availability and things of that nature. I think that these are very surmountable problems that could easily be corrected with a better academic focus on these issues. This lack of hands-on training is being corrected already and regionally in some innovative ways. 
At the University of Washington near me, there's a very well-respected program that's been run by the professor Daniel Winterbottom in landscape architecture, in which he is training new prospective landscape architectural graduates in design build in a more focused and hands-on manner. Similarly, there's a program through the Washington Association of Landscape Professionals and nationally through NALP to train field personnel in a more regimented and focused way with construction so that graduates of these short courses can receive, in the case of WALP, an EcoPro certification for their education and thereby gain a badge of credibility that will help their marketability in the field. I think that the landscape design academic programs could work more in this kind of manner in order to develop a field of candidates that have more pragmatic and practical hands-on experience. Another aspect of this that becomes an issue, especially in the residential design build field, is the general inconsistency and degree of compensation for landscape designers. Independent designers that run solo businesses really have a hard time of it. It's difficult for a solo designer to make a successful living at it. And what you will often find if you scour the membership of APLD and organizations of this type is that solo practitioners, at least in some cases, are relying at least in part on a spouse's income as a more regular monetary compensation than what their solo design careers will allow. This is, I think, true of those starting out as well. And so there is a relatively high bar to set yourself up as an independent designer. Professional firms in the contracting field may, of course, pay more, but even so, the methodologies of pay and compensation are wildly different between companies. There are statistics showing the averages starting at about 37000 annually for landscape designers nationally. Other forms of compensation include bonuses, commissions, and arrangements such as these that can add to a designer's income, but again are inconsistent between firms. Prospective design graduates may be dissuaded from pursuing this kind of education because of the inconsistencies in compensation. This is not necessarily the fault of the academic programs necessarily, but potential graduates should be educated about expectations and how to negotiate effectively for adequate salaries. I think one simple way for academic institutions to significantly improve the focus of landscape design education is to compartmentalize the work in a way that allows it to become more easily understood and managed by the student. I think anyone that's in the field would tell you that there's just simply a myriad of things to know. And this is, of course, true. But even so, in my own work, I found it useful to compartmentalize the work into what I call the dozen things we do when I'm training a new landscape designer. We'll be covering that in a different episode. But suffice it to say that these items include the following. Design and consultation with planning, drawings, and presentation, demolition and hauling, soils and mulches, grading and topography, boulders, stone, cobble and rock amendments, carpentry, masonry and concrete, retaining walls, patios and steps, lighting and irrigation, draining and plant materials from lawns to ground cover, perennial shrub materials and trees and annuals in all their forms from deciduous to evergreen and from native to ornamental. Specialty work such as permaculture, knowledge about chemical regimens, installation of artificial turf and work of that nature is also useful, but for some, it's somewhat out of the purview of mainstream landscape design. Along with a focus on establishing a real business model, this generally encapsulates the work in a simplified way. Anyway, not to make it too cumbersome, but splitting the work, in, the work into these dozen things would encompass a great portion of what we do and compartmentalize it within each subject would also further simplify and create a process where design students will at least 
touch on in more detail a good bit of the work that they might need to do. A strong facet of this should be the actual building of a business model, understanding contracts and agreements, disclosure and notification work, permitting, municipal code requirements, specifications and tolerances related to legal requirements, and the general process around proposals, change orders, addendum, and warranty issues. All this will form the basis of what a graduate in landscape design will need to know in order to pursue a successful career. I hope this helps to put into perspective some of the issues that arise around landscape design education. I think there are a number of ways we can pursue simple changes to improve our programs nationally. For my part, I'd love to see landscape design educators embrace a more environmentally oriented ethos and work in a more proactive manner to train and educate potential graduates around IPM methodologies and environmentally sensitive solutions to problems that are going to be arising. This is critical work for us to improve and get right in the very important decades ahead, where we will be seeing the radical and destructive effects of climate change. Our ability to improve and sustain the environment and the wildlife within is becoming ever more critical, and landscape architects and designers hold a pivotal role in shaping our environments and directing public awareness if they can be centered and directed to begin with. Thanks for listening.